Hi, and welcome to the Data Master Pro Podcast. Here's kind of our um, our schedule for today. So we're going to start off with an introduction of the three of us. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and how that's affected the appraisal world. Then we're going to talk about the, the new FHFA RFI that's come out. So we're going to talk about a lot of three-letter acronyms and four-letter acronyms. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, resources for the future. So um, just to get started, Kevin, would you introduce yourself to our illustrious audience? Sure. Uh, my name is Kevin Ewell. Uh, I've been appraising since 98. Uh, I've appraised in Washington, California, Utah, and Idaho. I've worked for several um, lenders, worked at a tax assessor's office as the chief deputy assessor. Um, I've been a chief review appraiser, uh, review manager, and I'm a USPAP instructor. So um, anyway, I, I enjoy appraising. It's, it's a lot of fun. All right, thanks, Kevin. Uh, Jared, would you mind introducing yourself? That uh, my name is Jared Preisler. I'm a SRA uh, designated appraiser with the Appraisal Institute. Um, I've been the chief appraiser for Data Master since the fall of 2016. Uh, started appraising uh, in the mid in the mid 90s, um, 95, 96, and um, I also am a AQB certified USPAP instructor. I'm a an instructor for the Appraisal Institute and teach. Uh, 15 of their residential courses. Um, along with uh, my role as chief appraiser with Data Master, I also uh, maintain my own uh, fee appraisal business. And um, so I'm out in the field um, doing appraisals all the time. And uh, we have a small office. We scaled our office down. Uh, but just like uh, most of you, I I get out and, and uh, see the houses and deal with all the issues that are surrounding that. Um, I enjoy, uh, enjoy appraising. Um, I think I have a many, many more years of appraising left in me. So I'm, I'm excited about the, the future of the appraisal industry. Great. Thanks. And um, let me introduce myself real quick. I, my name is Marty Hamilton. I work for data master and I'll be hosting the webinar today and, hopefully um, providing some questions and things like that, that Jared and Kevin can talk about. Um, and then I'll be the one watching the chat as we keep going. So, uh, well, without further ado, let's jump right in about COVID. Um, so Jared and Kevin, can you guys take a minute to comment on the impact of COVID-19 on your businesses? first and then on the appraisal industry as a whole? Sure. Kevin, you want me to go first? Yeah, you, you want go to go first. Okay. Um, you know, for my business, particular my appraisal business, uh, we had a crazy busy year last year. Um, I think that uh, the overall impact that COVID had was uh, on, on the industry, at least in, in the markets that I work in, interest rates were held um, low and there was uh, very little inventory. Um, we had a lot of folks that 
uh, decided that they didn't want to sell and uh, they didn't want people in their homes. They were afraid that uh, the spread of the virus would would um, infect their home if they let people come in and see those homes. And so initially, there was a real um, a real uh, scale back of the amount of uh, properties that were that were available to purchase. That caused a shortage of supply, and at the same time, there was a high demand, which um, resulted in kind of a carrying through the entire year, a shortage. And, um, and we personally, I, I turned down more work than I was able to, to handle. Uh, and most of the appraisers that I've talked to across the country uh, and specifically in my market experience, the same thing that that's from kind of the business standpoint, how did it impact um, a lot of the, uh, the, um, the CARES Act, I think, artificially um, prolonged, or I know that it artificially prolonged foreclosures, um, notice of defaults being filed, uh, the inventory that, that typically would have come on from a, from a foreclosure standpoint didn't make it into the market, which just um, exacerbated the, the issue of lack of inventory. And uh, so some of the, sometimes the government does things, their policies kind of make, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have the full intended consequence that they thought they would. Um, I think that's been an issue for, for us um, here locally. Kevin's laughing at me. That was the political way to say it. Um, it's very nice. From a, from, from a, uh, an industry level. So what has COVID done from a, an industry level? My perspective is that um, it's accelerated the use of technology. Um, we've seen policy changes that uh, have, have occurred uh, literally overnight um, in, in a very short period of time. Policy changes with the enterprises, with the, the GSEs uh, that were facilitated, that were necessitated by COVID. Um, we've, we've seen state uh, regulators make changes across the country in different states allowing for uh, for things that that they never would have before, or would have taken a long time to, to process through. Uh, we've seen, you know, companies and and industry participants who who never had a way to gather uh, gather data electronically that in a very short period of time came up with with wonderful apps on how to gather that data, uh, and so the 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 crisis created. Or, or showed the need, and then um, the then we reacted to that need, um, which oftentimes need um, you know the need of something is is what uh, helps us create this or, or use the technology. Um, so to me, some of that is exciting. Uh, we're seeing a, a real um, acceleration of of the use of technology in our industry that we haven't seen uh, before. Uh, and so that that's kind of my overall um, what I what I think. Um, and later we're going to talk about where I think or or where we think um, the industry is going to go in the future because of of this technology that's come in and because of COVID and some of those things. So that's my perspective, Kevin. I'm going to add a little bit to it. Uh, it's also broken down some of the. Um, I sat on the state licensing and certification board in in Utah, and 
as part of that process, there's a lot of things that are very rigorous and very set in stone. And it's been helpful to chip away the stone a little bit so that we look at things a little differently so that we can look at things uh, that might make us more efficient, um, that will help us in the future. Um, For instance, uh, education, how it's delivered. you know, it's, it's been nice to see a lot of uh, webinars or things where they're interactive, but I can still do them at home. Um, and that's never been allowed before, at least in the state of Utah. And we're seeing the industry as a, as a whole change and say, you know, there's a better way of doing this where we can get more or we can get better information out there. We can help the appraisers um, become better at their jobs and we don't have to do it in either a traditional classroom setting or uh, via remote learning that's not interactive. So I, I see a lot of barriers have been broken down that'll help us. As we move. Kevin, have you seen more participation in, in board meetings because of the online uh, people coming to those board meetings that maybe would not have driven downtown and, and got to them? Unfortunately, it's about the same. Okay. Um, I think the, the USPAP uh, uh, exposure, oh, what do they call them? Uh, exposure draft meetings. Those have been well attended better than, than I think before because of it. But um, yeah, at, at the board, we've seen, um, we always get one or two a month. And it's some months when we have a hot topic, we get a few more participants. But uh, yeah. for the most part, no. Well, let me ask the two of you another question about this. Do you think that these trends and these differences are going to continue after the COVID time, after we hopefully at some point get out of this this weird uh, time in our lives? Do you think it's going to continue? I, I think it will because I think it's opened up some eyes that that there's a better way of doing it. And, and maybe there's some tweaks or things that have to go in place. Um, to help it uh, improve the process. But I, I think we'll continue uh, with what we've got a little bit just because I believe it's been helpful. Marty, we were in a meeting uh, not too long ago uh, for our, our Appraisal Institute Utah chapter. And one of the regulators said that one of the concerns that he had was that we've we've expanded this uh, the, the use of this technology and it's going to be very difficult to draw it back. And, and that was his fear is that we've, we've let folks register online and do all of these different things. And now we're going to say, Nope, you got to come back in the office. You got to come and do it again. And that um, they're not going to be able to, to shut the, shut the box again, shut the Pandora box and bring everything back in. It, he's really afraid of, of that. And, and my question to him is what's there to be afraid of if it's working and it's better then why do we have to go back? Um, you know, yeah. you know, why can't we? Why can't we continue to enjoy? I mean, you know, why why would we go back to riding a horse and buggy if we got a car? Yeah, you know. So some of these things I think are just going to be the way it is in in the future. I, I, I think, you know, we've seen these little evolutions. I can't imagine taking ever again an order by fax machine, um, and yet, you know, ten years ago. 15 years ago, that was one of my best technology tools was my fax machine. It made me a lot of money to have that fax machine. I'd hate to go back to it. Um, and, and, um, 
you know, turn it back on again. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I see a lot of these improvements um, have been. Um, yeah, I'm going to echo that. There's a lot of fear and change. But as, as we adopt it, you know, not everything's perfect. But as, as we move forward and we look at ways to improve it, to make it better, um, I think it, it'll only help us. And I think what this has done is help open the eyes of the um, regulators to say, hmm, maybe there is a different way of doing it. Whereas before there absolutely wasn't a way, a different way of doing it. They didn't want to change. And this forced them to. Yeah, so it's kind of like, it's hard to close Pandora's box or whatever the, uh, the good equivalent of Pandora's box might be at this point, the efficiency equivalent of Pandora's box. So <clears throat> thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to move on and talk about this uh, FHFARFI that came out uh, in December, uh, because this covers a lot of what might be the future of appraising. And so, um, you know, we can kind of glean where the industry is going from what they're asking about in this uh, RFI. So um, the first thing is that I want to ask is that, do you see a need to provide new valuation solutions um, based on, you know, appraiser capacity, turn times, training, and so on? Hey, Marty, one thing uh, I think we ought to mention for those that are that are joined us with us today is that um, I, I think there's a big significant, I think it's significant that the um, FHFA is reaching out. So FHFA stands for the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and they kind of, um, you know, oversee Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the enterprises. And um, if you haven't got a, a copy of this or, or, or viewed it yet, uh, Marty's got a link that we can put in the chat box for everybody uh, that you can actually download this and reply to them. Um, they are accepting comments right now. Um, I can't remember when it closes. I've already made my February comments. 25th. February 25th. Thank you, Kevin. So I would say for, for those of you that have joined us, this is a, an opportunity for you to answer. I think there's 18 questions at the end of the document. The document's about 22 pages long and, and really have a great input on our industry. Um, the more input there is, uh, the, the better I think we have a, a say in what happens. Um, and, and this is really relevant. It, it touches on um, three different three or four different um, aspects of what's going on in our industry. And we're not going to talk about all of them today. Um, the, we're just going to address a couple of them and, and kind of what we think is going on or, or what the response is. Um, so, so that just as kind of a, a, an introduction to what, what this document is um, and, and how appropriate it is right at this time. Um, I, I think we would have seen this RFI regardless of COVID because of the other changes that were being addressed. Uh, but COVID is certainly um, something that has, has facilitated it or um, maybe heightened, uh, heightened some interest in it. So um, there's a couple of, couple of different things that it addresses, the form changes, um, and we're gonna talk slightly a little bit about those, um, what we can talk about them. 
but but Marty's first question um, was: uh, <clears throat> Is there really a need to have something change in our industry? To have some some uh, some change, or are we okay to just kind of continue the way that the way that we've been going down the road? Um, I'm I'm very much a proponent that there needs to be some change, uh, not just for the idea of change. Um, I, I don't think we need to change just because we haven't changed for a while. But, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that I looked at was um, really, are there things that we're doing today that, that we don't need to do? Um, one, of, one of the things I look at is, why do I have to drive my comparables today? Um, most of the MLSs we deal with 85% of the MLS data across the country on a regular basis, on a day in day out basis at data master and agents are so much better in, in uploading photos in uh, letting us see what the property is like, you know, years ago, we'd get a front photo and a photo of the kitchen and the living room and the bathroom. And that was it. And now it's not uncommon to see 40 to 50 photos, uh, a Matterport um, virtual reality tour. Um, you know, the, the amount of data that I can see is so much better with each of those comparables. So why do I still have to drive those comps? Well, why, why can't I utilize that technology? Um, you know, why are, we, why are we marking down that there's a disposal on the 1004? You know, those of you that have joined me and, and do a 1004, have you ever made an adjustment for a disposal? Have you ever, you know, uh, and and it was interesting during this this process, uh, the form design process, that question was asked. Well, why was there a disposal? Why do we have to um, identify that? Well, back in the 70s, having a disposal in your house was a sign of a house that had been updated. And so by marking that box, you were sending the message. That's one of the things they wanted to put on the original forms in 93 or whenever the forms were created, 89, whenever it was, 93, I think, um, was marking that disposal gave them a sense of what the updated, what the nature of the property was. Do we really need that? And I would say no. Um, those are the kind of things that we need to look at and get rid of. Also, I'm much better now at analyzing secondary data than I was when I started appraising. And so I can consume secondary data much better. Um, I can see its impact on the, on the market uh, much better with the tools that I'm using. Uh, why, why do I still need to be the primary gatherer on some of this information uh, or on some of this data when really my role should be the analyst should help assess risk. And so get rid of the dead weight, the things that we shouldn't, that we don't need to really do because technology can do it better, faster, um, more consistently for us. But I think there's a lot of fear that comes up with that because you're using new tools. You're, you're trying to teach this old dog new tricks. You know, for me, this, I, I don't need to drive my comparables, um, which is, I totally agree with you. I, I, I think that's something that, you know, unless you'd like driving your car and, you know, and then I'm sorry, you know, that'll be gone. But, you know, we can, we can look on Google Earth. We can look on the aerial imageries of, from our counties. We can see what surrounds the property. We can see what, um, what affects the property. 
okay, we can't roll down our windows and hear the traffic noise. But I can tell you, if you're next to the freeway, you're going to have traffic noise. Um, you know, so I don't really need to involve all five senses to, to understand the property. Uh, I, can, I can see it with my eyes and see it from a distance. I can see it from my computer. And in some cases, I can see it much better from my computer than I can from the street. Um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of tools that we can use. But the fear comes in if I don't have the tools. What, you know, where do I get all these tools? How, how do I get there? Um, and more and more of that is becoming just publicly available to anyone to look at. You know, working at the county assessor's office, they have some really cool tools um, that they use to help evaluate all, all of the properties in the county. Um, and they're starting to let some of those tools out um, to just other people that can use them. You know, you can go onto your county website and you can see their aerial imagery. You know, you can go on Google Earth and you can see the Google's um, street views. You can see the, the satellite views. Um, you can see all this information. You can measure the homes. You know, you can check measurements of the house from your, from your computer. You don't need to actually go even measure it. Um, we can get relatively close uh, just checking, saying, yep, that's, that's pretty close. We're good with that. Um, knowing that there's going to be some overhangs and some eaves and some things that you're going to have to look through. Um, anyway, my whole point is there's lots of tools out there. Don't be afraid of them. Um, embrace them. Try and figure out how to incorporate them so that it can make you more efficient and better at answering the question, why is my house uh, where it's at? Why does it make it um, unique or why is it similar to everything else around it? You know, I, I was looking at the chat box and Greg, uh, Greg made a, a great point that that the lenders um, with with collateral underwriting and, and some of the tools that they're getting, they look uh, at statistics um, way more than than they are starting. And they're starting to shift to that, those statistical models um, than they are looking at the appraisal. And and we you know, that's a very big concern. Um, we should be the ones in the driver's seat saying um, this is why that statistical model is relevant or not relevant, or um, here's what's most important in, in my particular market, my geographic competency. What is it about, um, about this particular property, like what Kevin was, was talking about? Um, you know, is it on a busy street? Does it back some uh, uh, um, highway uh, or is it in a typical residential um, area. I think in the future, we're going to do fewer and fewer non-complex assignments. Those non-complex assignments are going to be the ones that uh, we just really don't get. And so if as an appraiser, I have a real difficult time understanding the, the analysis or, or looking at complex properties, then I might need to be more concerned with, with you know, my, my income, my role, my, where I fit in, um, in the, uh, in the process. Um, and, and I think that there's, with this modernization, there's a real recognition that, and, and as I've talked to and, and, and been privileged to, to kind of be on the inside with some of this, um, there, they really, and I truly believe that they're not trying to eliminate the appraiser. 
but they're trying to maximize our our role, our tool, our tools, our talents um, in the whole risk process, um, and and minimize where we are not necessary or needed, uh, and that's that's kind of the as I see it, uh, this this kind of shift uh, in where the modernization is is going, um, and the days of just filling out a form and turning it in, I I think are numbered. Um, and, and of course I, I've heard that for a long time, but, but I think we're really getting there now with the way that they're gathering data and using technology. So great, great comment, Greg. Yeah. And having worked for uh, a few lenders, I know that it's more about risk than it is about absolutely the value. Because even if you listen to Fannie and Freddie, they tell you that um, there's bias in the appraisal. Um, you've got uh, a purchase bias. You've got um, several different biases. If a refinance um, comes across of the same house and a purchase comes across, the appraiser will typically hit the purchase price. But if it's just a refinance, the value will be different. So there's a purchase bias. So how can we, how can we eliminate our biases and that's, that's the risk. That's why, you know, when we, when we complete an appraisal report, it's a range of value and we pick a number and we tell everybody why we're at that number and why it's supported and why it's there. But could it be more? Could it be less? We're not perfect. You know, it's not, it's not two plus two equals four. It's, you know, what adds value to this neighborhood? Well, the appraiser's favorite answer is it depends. So it's, our job as appraisers to determine what that depends means. And that's through our analysis. And that's, we got to do a better job of communicating to the lenders about our analysis. So I think it comes in two parts. We have to provide the statistical analysis and then we have to communicate it. We have to use all the tools we've ever been taught. And then we have to write about it. We have to communicate so that we can better inform our clients um, the lenders or, or whatever else, um, you know, attorneys or whatever your client may be of the risks and everything that they need to know about the property for their particular scope of work. So as appraisers, we have our own scope of work, but have you ever thought about what is our lender's scope of work or what are our client's scope of work? What are they looking for? And are we meeting what they, they are needing? Yeah. So let me jump in here real quick. So, I kind of, I feel like I hear you saying that the analysis is becoming more and more important right now, um, especially as some of these uh, desktop appraisals and uh, other valuation services are coming around. Um, how, how do you build those skills as far as being able to explain and to communicate your analysis about a property to, to your client? And have you, are there any examples that you may have seen in the industry where people, where, where you've seen people develop that skill? Let me, let me share one, one thought with you. Um, and, and I apologize if, if some of you have heard me speak before, um, this is a, an example that I've given, but um, I, in, in 2017, uh, shortly after becoming the chief appraiser for Data Master, um, I was trying to juggle a, a lot of a lot of a lot of things. Um, 
I had my family life. I had my appraisal business. I had a new new uh, opportunity with Data Master, and I really had to figure out how I was going to make it all work. Um, I I did eliminate some of my clients. I cut back on some of my appraisal work, but I I decided that um, in 2017 uh, January 2017 it was time to go paperless in my office and to utilize that technology. And, and it was the third time, the third time, try and get in the camera here, the third time I had tried to go paperless. And it wasn't for lack of buying the best equipment that was out there, buying the, the high, high tech uh, iPad and all of those different things. It wasn't for lack of having a, a form software that had a, 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 the ability to collect the data um, paperless. Um, and, and there was an appraiser that had been successful at it that I follow. I listen to a lot of his podcasts. I do, um, uh, you know, I, I talk to him on a, on a regular basis. He had given me the advice. He said, do at least 10 reports, the first 10 reports of the year. It doesn't matter if they're blender work, if they're custom homes, if they're manufactured homes, if it's a log home, if it's really tough or really easy, do the first 10 um, paperless. And, uh, and once you get through those first 10, it's going to become easier and easier and easier. And I'll tell you that, that the first, uh, the first one, I, I normally have these big file folders and it has my checklist and everything on them. And I took that file folder to the home and I left it in the truck on my, on the passenger seat. And I went in with just my laser measure and my, uh, my iPad. And um, I told the people up front, I said, I've been appraising for 20 plus years, but I'm trying some new technology and I'm going to seem like I don't know what I'm doing. And I want to apologize up front. I'm trying to learn something new. And, uh, and your house is the first house. And, and I was up front with them. And they had a little 10-year-old uh, boy that was walking around. I like them to take me on a, on a tour. And so um, I, I said... I started my sketch. I got everything going and I went to the living room. I put the living room uh, label on and I double clicked it to take the picture. And as I took my iPad up, it went blank. And I was like, oh no, what's going on? And the 10 year old said, oh, let me help you with that. And he, and he grabbed the iPad and he like got it back going for me. And he made a change setting that so that it wouldn't shut off automatically on me. And he followed me around and, and you know, I, it took me a little bit longer at that home than I normally would have been just taking notes on a notepad. And when I got finished, I was sitting in the truck. I grabbed my note, my, my file folder that was sitting on the, the chair next to me on my passenger seat. And I started writing down everything I could remember about that home. Um, I was so nervous that when I got back that it wasn't going to upload. And by about the eighth or ninth of assignment report, um, I could leave the folders at home. Um, it was, there was this learning curve but I just, I just jumped in and, and did it cold turkey. And um, that's the way that I learned that technology. Um, and, and now I can't imagine going back. Um, I'll be out driving a property and there's a final inspection that comes up and I'll, my, my uh, office will say, hey, can you run by and do this? We just uploaded the file to you. Go and grab that, um, that final inspection. Sure, uh, it's, it's very simple. Um, but you've, you've got to commit to the process. You've got to commit to the technology, to the tool that you're using. 
to get it right. Um, and if it doesn't make sense, if you're looking at an analytic tool that you're trying for the first time and it just doesn't make sense, um, trust trust your your judgment and say, okay, what is it that I need to change? What what is what's what am I missing? What data did I not put in right? Um, don't let appraisal theory go out the window um, for for the sake of statistical analysis. Um, make sure that you're that you're you're keeping your your appraiser hat on first, but you really have to commit to it. And it's going to be a little painful, uh, or it can be, uh, but the benefits um, the benefits that come from from it are, are going to far outweigh far outweigh the 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 little bit of uncomfortableness that will that will start it off. So that Marty, I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but but that's kind of my experience with any of the tools. Um, I teach a class called residential applications. It's a two day class. Um, in the beginning, we talk about how to create pivot tables and all this analysis stuff. And then the second class we do application and we just apply it. And um, I've taught it back to back day to day or one day, like a Friday and then a Saturday or a Thursday and a Friday. I've also taught it where we taught it on one Friday, waited two weeks and taught the second class on two weeks later. And the students that in the middle, that in between two weeks, who actually go and use the, the, the skill set, create some pivot tables in the next couple of reports are the ones that really benefit. You can go to a class and you can learn, you can be present, the technology can be presented to you. And if you don't use it that day, within 24, 48 hours, you're going to lose it. And my experience has been that we just won't adopt um, that, that change. And so I would say if you're, you know, you, there's some great courses out there. There's some, uh, great op, you know, some great materials, some great tools, but you, you can't just look at it. You've got to implement it. You've got to make the change and, get and out I, of your rut. I'd say along with that, constantly challenge it. You know, if, if, if you're not growing in, in your, um, profession, if you're not looking at different ways to do things, um, I, I had a, a manager once, you know, the old saying is if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I had a manager that used to say, if it's broke, if it's not broke, break it so you can make it better. So, um, constantly challenge your process, but leave your appraiser hat on, make sure that you're understanding, you know, if it doesn't pass the sniff test, if it doesn't pass the, that doesn't make any sense. I remember doing appraisal reviews when regressions first started being used. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd be doing this review and the adjustments just flat out didn't make any sense. And you go through the statistics and everything and statistically it made sense, but in reality it, it didn't fit. You know, the adjustment for the garage was $30,000, you know, and it, it didn't fit and everything was um, not coming together, it was um, diverging and, and you know, all of these things it should have been red flags for the appraiser saying my adjustments are off were just pushed right through and you know that's why it ended up on my desk um so make sure your appraiser hat's on but at the same time challenge yourself um so that you can say hey let's look at this and let's see is there a better way to do this so that we can we can challenge what we do and and make it make it so people can understand there's a lot that goes through our heads as appraisers that never makes it to the paper. Um, but when somebody asks you about it, you're like, oh, well, this is why. Well, why didn't you just tell me that to begin with? And how can I say that in a concise manner so I don't have to write a book? 
And that's that's one of the biggest challenges we face. Stay relevant. Yeah, so it, it sounds like that's kind of the back to our communicating and uh, being able to explain the decisions that you're making. Um, so Marty, I, I, I look here, we're, we're getting a little long on, on time. Um, maybe we can jump. Uh, there's, there's some great questions on the RFI. Um, and I would suggest everybody take a, a look and download those, um, download the, and, and then respond to them. Um, you know, I, we wanted you to be able to have something to take with you today, um, to, to really, you know, help, help, uh, you get a kind of an idea of, of where the industry might be going in your area. Um, and maybe we can jump to, to those books or, and I can give a little synopsis on those and then we can take some questions. Yeah. Thanks, Jared. Um, so my next question was about resources you can use. So here's a few from Jared. So, so one of the things, if you guys are like me, when you're out in the field and you're driving around, um, you like to listen to, to books, audio books. I, I just consume a lot of, a lot of books and there's three books that I would recommend that you, um, that you put in your library. Um, the first one that, that I listened to was called the inevitable by Kevin Kelly. Um, Kevin Kelly is a futurist, um, to give you an idea of, of who he is, he started in ninth in, in the early eighties, late, late seventies, early eighties. He started a, a little magazine called wired magazine. Uh, there's companies that approach him like, uh, Microsoft and Google and Amazon and ask him where the future is going. Um, that gives you a little background on Kevin Kelly. This book, um, that he came out with that he, that he uh, brought out is, is an amazing book. It, it talks about 12 technologies that will shape our future. Um, it's not specific to real estate, um, in a way, um, that it's, it's got some real estate related items in it. One of the things that's, that's very interesting is he talks about the way that our world is changing from a world of, of having possessions or ownership to a world of having rights. So if you, if you think about your, you or your kids or, or maybe millennials, um, when's the last time you bought a, a piece of music, a CD, and actually physically bought the CD? Um, nowadays, we don't really buy music anymore. We buy a subscription that we can listen to that music. So we, we buy the right to listen to it or enjoy that technology, that, that music, but we don't own it anymore. And um, we see a real shift in, in the, the philosophy of our, of our society in going towards right-based instead of, of ownership-based. But what if that happens with real estate, which we're already starting to see? If, if I really don't need to own the home, but I just need to have a right to occupy it for a certain period of time or in a certain location, how does that change your business? How do, are you very good at analyzing, um, at analyzing kind of a, uh, I, I'm losing, I'm losing the, uh, the term, but analyzing, um, split interest or partial interest in properties. I've never really done that before, 
but after listening to this book, I think partial interest appraising is probably something that I need to become familiar with. Um, it's more of a commercial type of thing, but I could see residential uh, moving that direction. Uh, Airbnbs um, you know, specializing in in appraising and analyzing those. Um, so the inevitable, it, it's a it's an amazing book. A lot of the things that um, he talks about in the beginning, we've already seen happen. Uh, now the book came out in in late 2016, uh, but it's very relevant. Um, the next one is the future of the professions. Uh, Richard and Daniel Suskind are from England, and in this book, they refer to some surveyors. So in England, the appraiser is is referred to as a surveyor, not an appraiser. And so when you when you listen to that book and they talk about a surveyor, they're talking about us. But in in general, the he tracks what's happened in the professions. Uh, and and one quick example he gives is if you were a doctor in the early 1900s. And you said, all I want to do is, is shoulders and knees. All I'm going to do is operate on shoulders and knees. Uh, you would have gone out of business. Your practice would have dried up and there wouldn't have been enough work for you. But those who have specialized now as orthopedic surgeons in knees and shoulders are the busiest doctors around. Those that specialize, the general practitioner, the, the, the doctor that has the general pra practice um, are the ones that are really struggling to make it in in the medical profession. They're being replaced by PAs, uh, by nurses. Uh, there's a, by technology, by online uh, online books uh, that that can diagnose different things. Um, and so specialization is one area where he suggests that if you want to be relevant in the future, that you specialize. Um, the the last one is a follow up written by um, Daniel. Uh, it was called A World Without Work, um, where he talks about um, tasks that might change, where we, we aren't necessarily going to have go to work, but we'll have jobs to do or tasks to do. Um, the idea of, of having, a, you know, having a workplace uh, is eroding away. And, we, and this was written before COVID, but the insight into and and how COVID has ex, has just accelerated what Daniel was talking about is just amazing. Um, and so those are three things that I think you could take away. You could go and get them, um, listen to them. They are they are absolutely amazing. And and ask how how does this change what my profession is or where I am? Uh, what's going to be happening in in my world? Um, and then. The other thing that I would do, and we didn't have a slide for it, is I would go in and I would subscribe to every email um, alert that I could find for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, the foundation, um, the GSE. Um, if any of your lenders um, have specific uh, email alert or notices that they send out on a regular basis, um, I would I would uh, set aside some time every day to kind of read through those um and stay up on what's happening in the industry. Um, there's lots of changes and um, they'll help you navigate where you need to position your business. Yeah, and I would just, don't just sign up for them, read them, uh, apply them. You know, uh, there's so much information out there and how, how do we stay grounded? How do we stay guided? You know, we don't wanna be the appraisers that are like uh, chicken little, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, I, I don't believe the sky is falling. 
it's it's changing, um, but it's not falling. We've got a great industry. We've got some great things happening, um, but we have to stay on top of it so that we can make sure that we are the professionals of the future and not the dirt, the ditch diggers of the past. I think, Marty, it's really interesting that um, this last uh, seven-hour USPAP class, update class, um, there's a whole section on uh, yes, that the foundation came up with, yes, I can do that assignment. They have a brochure. Um, you know, they see us, one of the challenges and, and industry participants are saying to the foundation, we're asking appraisers to do this work. And they're saying, no, they can't do it. Because of USPAP, we can't do that assignment or we can't do that work. And so they've, they've made a whole brochure uh, on just, yes, you can. Um, and it's got about 20, 21 different things on it. I think the changes that we're seeing in USPAP for the, the reporting, restricted reports, uh, it's all in an effort to help us to stay relevant and to um, educate us and, and give us the tools that we need to, to meet the needs of our clients and to uh, protect the public interest, protect the public trust. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately that's, that's what we're doing is, is helping with those risk, uh, risk analysis and protecting the public. But uh, think a little outside the box on what you can do um, and, and how you might be able to do it. Um, uh, you know. Anyway, that, that's, that's my, my take. Uh, it's been fun to be with you today. Thanks, uh, Kevin and Jared. And Find out more about Datamaster at www.datamasterusa.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.